Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful. And for the faithful, I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good, Bruce. The Oilers won and my beer league team won. And and this for the first time in my history as a player, I scored the winning shootout goal. Tonight. Awesome shootout goal. What a yeah. 20, 20 rounds. Three, third, <laughs> it was the third shot. We were up by one. All right. So and, the clincher, eh? Went to my backhand. Backhand put it between his legs. So there you go. That's two good games in a row for you, David. <laughs> yeah, I'm on a roll. Huh? <laughs> All right. The orders are not, well, they got on a roll against a really um, <laughs> a weak team, Bruce. I think after that game, Anaheim's going to the NHL and asking to be re-tiered. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, um, they uh, really struggled tonight. Uh, let me just the grade eight. They score six two, of course, for the Oilers. Um, and the grade A shots in the game were twenty three to nine for the Oilers with a f- subset of five alarm shots, ten to four. Bruce, um, this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. What is your good thing? Yeah, I'm going to go slightly off the board. And a lot night, a lot of the Oilers played well to very well. Uh, the one guy who played well that we've never had a chance to talk about before is Vincent DeHarnay. And I'm going to single him out for a most excellent debut as an Edmonton Oiler. And uh, he was, uh, he played just a shade over 15 minutes. They basically rotated the four righties on uh, all on the right and the three lefties all on the left. And uh, they managed to get 15 minutes in even for the uh, uh, would be number seven D man in this game, and I was just very impressed with the with the package that we saw, which was more or less as promised. This is not a guy who's going to uh, light things up offensively, but he does have a little bit of offensive, uh, you know, uh, in his in his hockey brain. Includes actually the offensive part of the game. We saw a little bit of that, but mostly what we saw was defense, <clears throat> and I thought very good defense. Um, uh, I liked his positioning. Uh, I liked his calmness and composure uh, when he had the puck or when he was, uh, uh, you know, when there was any kind of heat on him. Uh, I liked his battle level. I liked the way he finished checks. I thought he looked good on the penalty kill when he got that opportunity for uh, uh, two minutes. And five seconds he played on the kill. He led the team with three hits. And when he hit guys, they stayed hit, you know. And even it didn't look like he was really mashing them. And then you see the guy hit the boards and kind of crump, crumple. And say, whoa. Yeah, he felt that. Um, and uh, he took early a very cheap penalty for interference where the guy shot the puck past him. And he immediately hit the guy. And somehow they called it interference. Uh, but. Uh, but he got that penalty back in spades uh, later when he stole the puck off of the uh, legendary Trevor Zegris <clears throat> and drew a retaliatory slash from Zegris. And uh, Zegris went to the box and the Oilers power play clicked for a goal after about six seconds. Uh, so uh, that was uh, that uh, strong defensive play was quickly converted into a goal by the Oilers. And I just, I like basically the 
the game that he showed and you know the obviously the size just a little bit of nastiness the crease clearing that i don't think the team has really had this year and i'm not sure that there's a, a role for him you know like immediately for you know forever as an nhl player but i do definitely think there's a future for this guy as an nhl player and such a nice story david 26 years old I mean, this guy was drafted by the Oilers in 2016, and that was in his third year of eligibility. He was already 20 years old. He'd been passed over twice, uh, and the Oilers took him in the seventh round in 2016, just right near the end of the draft. He played one year of college hockey by then. Uh, by three years later, he was a D-man of the year in Hockey East. And even then, the Oilers... Uh, convinced him to sign an AHL contract uh, that kept him off the 50-man list, uh, but gave him a chance to, uh, you know, work on his skills in the AHL. The promise that if he did that, they would give him an NHL contract, and eventually, three years later, they did. And he didn't sign with the Oilers until uh, spring of 2022, six years after they drafted him. And now, here, less than a year later, he's in the NHL with this. Uh, uh, his thrilled family in attendance, and it's just a real nice feel-good story. So that's my good thing out of this game. <clears throat> I really like this play too, Bruce, especially on the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. He looks just just what they need on the penalty kill. Um, a big guy who uh, can clear out the front of the net, win battles in front of the net, and when the puck goes. Um, this pass, there's a seam pass, and he goes out to block the shot. He covers a lot of blockage area. He He's mm-hmm. a wall. He, I just think he's try to pass around him, try to shoot through him. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting issue for the Oilers, Bruce. I mean, I don't see them getting rid of trading CC, and I don't see them trading, trading Evan Bouchard, but, and it would be, strange in some ways to trade Tyson Berry at this point. But I do think they need this kind of defenseman on the team. I think this this player, this kind of player is lacking. This defensive defenseman who can really help on the PK, they're desperate for him. And they've got to find a, um, a roster spot for, for someone who can do that work. Now, it could be someone who, who I think takes Kulak's spot mm-hmm. um, on the left side. And I, I would play Philip Robery ahead of Kulak at this point. Personally, I know that that's probably uh, most people wouldn't agree with that, but that's what I would do. Or it's, I think, Tyson Barry on the right side, who it's one of those two players. Because <clears throat> I think Bouchard could step up and play um, on the power play. So I think he has a chance to to take on a role this year. Go ahead. Or it's, or it's 7D, man, like they did tonight. And it worked, you know, worked pretty well in this game. Yeah, and they were able because of the you know the Oilers were in control of this game pretty much throughout. They were able to roll roll the lines and roll the defenseman, and everybody got a fair amount of ice time. Only Darnell Nurse, almost 24 minutes, was you know taxed in any way. Where I mean, really they were only using three left D men, uh, but um, uh, even you know guys like Drysaddle, 16 minutes. David, 15 minutes, you know, they got a nice break tonight. And because it was that kind of game, there there was, uh, and because uh, Jay Woodcroft and Dave Manson know mm-hmm. this player, because he's played with them in uh, in uh, Bakersfield for 
uh, parts of three seasons, I think it is, that uh, uh, they uh, they were quite comfortable getting him in there, and they even gave him one or two shifts on left side, and he comported himself well. He had a couple of little bobbles with the puck, but nothing that was really sort of egregious, and <clears throat> some real smart plays with the puck, and you know some a couple a couple of uh, of um, like I said composed uh, passes. Uh, that couple of backhand passes that you know that he was able to get uh, get on target to to uh, to a teammate under a little bit of duress and maybe against a better team he's going to get burned on <clears throat> trying something like that. But tonight uh, he made it work and uh, I enjoyed watching him. Yeah, my uh, good thing is another. Uh... Well, it's it's built around a young player, Dylan Holloway. He got moved up to the top line with McDavid and uh, Kyler Yamamoto. And um, hey, about time. Um, Kurt Levins has been he's been uh, uh, talking about this a long time. He's been very unhappy with the use of Holloway, the lack of use of Holloway. And mm-hmm. finally, he got his chance, and it was fantastic because he came through. Which means he's going to get another chance, right? Mm-hmm. You have a game like that, <clears throat> it opens things up for you. And, um, you know, the first uh, two of the first three goals were scored by um, that line for the Oilers. So when the game was still in doubt, they set the pace for the Oilers. Mm -hmm. The first goal, Tyson Berry makes a fantastic pinch down the wall. He beats the uh, Anaheim winger down the wall and gets the puck to McDavid, who makes a no-look pass to Dylan Holloway in the slot, who just... Uh, one-timers it in, an absolute harpoon of a shot right in the net. That's what makes Connor McDavid happy, having a line mate who can do that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, uh, and it got better from there. I mean, the next goal was even, in some ways, uh, I, I liked more because it was a bit more of a hard-working goal. Uh, Yamamoto did a fantastic job angling and taking the guy's stick away and then taking the puck along the boards. He puts it to McDavid, who makes this incredible spin move, you know, hard stop, um, reverse direction to his backhand. Mm -hmm. And in front of that is Holloway battling away and pushing the Anaheim defenseman into the goalie's view. And McDavid just whips that backhand shot uh, off the post into the net. It was an incredible shot. Great play by Holloway, though. Screening the goalie and great play by Yamamoto. So that line uh, looks spectacular on those two goals. And uh, we'll see that, you know, Dylan Holloway, wingers, wingers mm-hmm. can come on fast in the NHL. You don't need to be, you know, that experienced of a, of a hockey player to excel as a winger in the NHL. Dylan Holloway may be a big part of the answer for uh, the Edmonton Oilers. Um, that was a big game for him. He finally showed off his skill and some grit and uh, excellent game from him. Liked his game a lot. You know, when he scored that, it was the first goal of the game, just three and a half minutes in on his second shift with McDavid. And he had the odd shift here and there with McDavid, you know, games where they went 11-7 and they, he was on the fourth line and they'd, you know, give, cycle the centers through or something. But he never got a real chance uh, in really the top six and certainly not on on uh, line with McDavid. But uh to score as quickly as that. So I, I just went and I opened my front door <clears> and listened. And on the wind, I could just hear the many voices of oil country saying, I told you he should be on the <laughs> McDavid line. 
Yeah. <laughs> There's so many people that have been saying that. Tonight's your night, folks. Enjoy it. He's, <laughs> he's a rookie. He makes rookie mistakes, but boy, he brings he brings energy and enthusiasm and skill. And does this team need all of those things? Indeed. Bruce, what is your bad thing tonight? Yeah, uh, yeah, not not a whole lot bad. Uh, the one thing I didn't like, uh, I'm, I'm going to forgive these guys immediately for the reason stated, uh, but at the end of the power, they always had a power play in the third period, uh, comfortably ahead 6-2 halfway through the third, but you still don't want to do anything stupid. You don't want to give the other team any goals. And they went with the second power play unit first, and left the big boys on the bench. And halfway through, they changed up. And I thought, okay, that was, that was the first unit to clean up uh, the rest of the way. The first unit had scored after six seconds on the prior power play. Uh, but instead, they came up with the rarely seen third unit. Uh, that included uh, point men, uh, uh, Brett Kulak and Cody Cece. And they didn't score, which really... It wasn't surprising. Uh, but the disappointing thing came right at the end when uh, about five seconds before the penalty ended, and you could hear Jack Campbell going whack, 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 whack at the far end of the ice like goalies are supposed to do to warn uh, the point men in particular there's going to be a guy coming out of the box behind him right away. And both uh, the point men, Cody Cece and Brett Kulak, slept right through the alarm. And then uh, Ryan McLeod turned the puck over right in front of the net. And there was one quick pass later and a clear breakaway to Kevin Shattenkirk coming out of the box. He went in and Jack Campbell just got a little tiny piece of that one or it was probably going to be in the net. And so he bailed out the D-man after first letting them know what was going to happen. But I And the reason I'm going to forgive them it's because the last time either of them played on the power play was probably in uh, uh, in junior hockey, you know, like it's such a rare thing. And they were probably thinking, let's go, here's my chance to go for it and get a goal or, you know, whatever. And it was just a momentary letdown. Uh, but it was a little bit of a glaring one in a game where there wasn't like a ton of mistakes. I'm going to point fingers here, there and everywhere. But this was a, a small mistake that wound up not costing anything at all. Uh, but just just a detail that was missed. CC was actually on the power play. There was a minute left in a game when the Oilers had a lead, mm-hmm. and the other oh, yeah. and the other team mm-hmm. or they or was it tied yeah, up or they the game? St. Louis tied it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And they right. scored. Uh, they they got another man out there and they scored. That so so don't put Scotty CC on the power play. <laughs> <clears throat> he was a hot uh, shot in junior hockey. He played a lot of power. He was billed as an offensive defenseman at, on his draft day, as I recall. And he was, of course, the first-round draft pick. But he's evolved into something very different in the NHL, which often happens with uh, with these guys. So, Bruce, my uh, bad thing is, and it wasn't even that bad necessarily. It was just at the start of the game, when the game was still in doubt. There, was a, there were a couple calls there that I just had me shaking my head again about NHL officiating in California. There was the DeHarnay penalty. And then Dreisaitl got tripped right behind the I think he was right behind the net. It was just an obvious trip. It's an obvious penalty. Mm-hmm. And how they didn't call it, I couldn't figure out. But Bruce, I, I have some good news. I got a leaked document from the NHL oh, yeah. sent to me. And it's and it's it's a memo to all NHL officials. And the subject is the Cali rules, it's called. Mm-hmm. 
and it lists six roles, and they are, number one, you are allowed to trip Leon Dreisaitl with impunity. Number two, you are allowed to hold or hook Connor McDavid with impunity. Number three, if you're Drew Doughty, you can trip, hold, and hook any player with impunity. <laughs> Number four. Or elbow. <laughs> always ask yourself before making a call, what do I say to Corey? <laughs> Number five. Pushing Connor McDavid into the goalposts shall result in a minor penalty to McDavid David. if he complains. And number six, sitting on number six, sitting on the opposition goalie is allowed, especially in the last seconds of a tie game. So <clears throat> I think it's a, you know we've been wondering, Bruce. We've been uh, you know angry and upset, but we can just see this is all perfectly rational. The the referees are just following the game plan as set up by the NHL. So I guess it's a good thing in a way, like to have that kind mm-hmm. of consistency in the refereeing and and strong leadership from the nhl in this regard so mike i give kudos to that organization yeah well they they had a little bit the mercy rule in effect i think from the refs tonight and there, there was the last three minutes of the game when zach hyman was trying to you know manfully pull away for for a potential breakaway and that guy just grabbed and held him all the way down the ice and the refs were doing their their thing, not noticing anything, and then what? Ten seconds later, uh, Pulleyarvi got a penalty for interference, which was interference. I went back and I looked at it. I never showed a replay, but real time, he kind of smoked a guy in the slot. So I, I was okay with that. But Nuge was going after the ref pretty good at that, even though it was six to two, saying, "Well, you know," and Louis DeBrusque was all over him, which he isn't that often, but saying, "You know, that's just ridiculous that they're, you know." I mean, that he's six foot two and however many pounds, but uh, you know when you when you grab onto him for that long, surely the guy's got to notice at some point. Tonight it was it was a non-factor, but I know I generally find myself getting aggravated at various points in most road games in California cities. So the Cali rules, Bruce. Now we know. What is your number, Bruce? My number is the uh, sensational. On ice numbers uh, recorded by one Philip Brogery tonight, who I thought had an outstanding game. He was really good in this game. And he just was so composed and, and strong with the puck. Uh, I think we had him, what, with five contributions to grade A chances Correct. and none, grade none shots, against? Yeah. Yeah, uh, against. yeah. Yeah, well, according to Natural Stat Trick, <clears throat> Uh, and, and officially, like, he has a very quiet sheet. No shots on goal. He played 18 minutes and 10 seconds, second most of any Oiler defenseman. Uh, and But when he was on the ice, uh, the shot attempts were 27-4 for Edmonton, 87%. Shots on net, and this is in uh, just under 15 minutes at even strength. The Oilers outshot Anaheim 22 Three, 88%. And they had, Oilers had uh, 18, 16 to 3 in scoring chances and 8 to 2 in grade, or sorry, uh, high danger chances. And in expected goals, 1.8 to 0.18. A 10 to 1 ratio, 91% of expected goals. Very, very unlucky to wind up the night splitting the goals evenly, one for, one against. And on the goal he was involved 
and he took his man and the mistakes came behind him but i i, I just i loved his game tonight he, he just he he tonight i sort of looked at him going swedish defenseman we really got one you know and you know in my book swedish defensemen are very high on the list of desirables <laughs> and he is uh uh it looks like he's finding it and getting it he's played a few good games lately and this was the best one yet in my view and he's earning a uh, game grade of eight from me in the grades that i haven't quite got to his number 86 yet but that's uh uh, that's what he's going to be getting from this game. I just thought he was excellent, and the numbers totally reflect that. That when he was on the ice, Edmonton was in control of this game. Nice to see. I mean, there's been a lot of criticism about the draft pick, obviously. Mm-hmm. <coughs> People Especially thinking- when the immortal Trevor minus four Zegris was picked right after him, but hey. <laughs> He's a good offensive hockey player, obviously. But you <laughs> yes, know, defensemen, take, defensemen take a little longer to develop. And this guy's on the same path as Oscar Clefbaum. In this year of, you know, draft year, whatever it is, draft four or five after the draft, of, you know, Clefbaum was just breaking in as a bottom pairing defenseman on the Oilers. Philip Broberry's doing that right now. And mm-hmm. um, I really, I, I, to me, he, he deserves to be on this team. He deserves to take a, a shift. He's, um, I, I think he's played his way ahead of Kulak. And um, I don't know if he's a second pairing defenseman, though. But um, I don't know if either of those players, I, I, I know Kulak has struggled in that role. So we can say that with certainty. We know Kulak is a pretty good third pairing defenseman. I'm going to give. We do. Yep. Yeah. So let, let's I'll make that clear. But Philip Wilbury is really um, starting to look like an interesting look he's a very interesting player bruce and when he starts moving the puck around like he has you know when we watched him in sweden i didn't see that so much it was more like mm-hmm. him carrying the puck he was more like a darnell nurse type kind of lugging the puck really fast and but tonight he was just really good making passes with the puck mm-hmm. um, the assist that he got he just slung it right across the ice just a really great pass i um <clears throat> and um yeah he is uh he uh he can really play, and what I like about I just I love his defensive play, even though he's not a really rough, tough player or necessarily a shot blocker. But he gets on guys and he sticks to them and he wins the puck off them. Uh, he seems strong enough to win the puck, and he's and he's I just think his skating is at a higher level than the vast majority of NHL players yep. and defensemen, and he's starting to use it to really good advantage. And he's tall and he's strong, so. Um, I know there's some people that are kind of itching to see him traded so they can in Joel Edmondson or Gavrikov or some defense. And I just, I, I just oh, hope. Chick- Chikrin is, is Chikrin. the main one. But. Yeah, I'm not a big, I'm not on the Chick- Chikrin. I, 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 I'm neither for nor against Chikrin. I, sh- I need to say that because I haven't seen him play. But I'm, I, I'm not, I don't like the idea of trading this player at all. I think it's a, it would be a big mistake. Now, if, if you get a player who can help you win the Stanley Cup this year, well, that's something to think about. But, you know, I, I can't remember. Oh, I heard Frank Saravalli on Oilers now breaking down Chikrin's game. And he just thought he was wrong for the Oilers. It's not what he what the Oilers need. You know, he's a shoot-first kind of attacking player. I mean, they have Evan Bouchard. They have Tyson Berry. Um, I guess, in theory, they might move one of those guys in order to get Chikrin. 
and he's a left shot guy. But, you know, Darnell Nurse can also shoot. He's got a decent shot. So I, I just, I mean, they need someone, they need defenders, and Philip Robert can defend. That's This is what I like about him. And when he I'm starts seeing more and more of that myself. Yeah, so he's... He's not consistently done it yet against good teams. This was against the Anaheim Ducks. Yes. And uh, <clears throat> the swarming Anaheim Ducks. Yeah. And um, it, it was good to see. But again, he's got to do this in some big games against some good teams down the, in, the, in the next, you know, two months before whatever it is, six weeks before the trade deadline. But I'm not, I, um, I, I think he could be part of the answer this year. For this team, yeah. Well, let's, he's played a few good games lately. I thought he was excellent against Islanders uh, in the win last week, and uh, tonight again, very, very good. And I think he's starting to come come on. He's starting to feel. He's gotten a few games in a row. Uh, you know, he's played. Uh, he's had a pr- pretty nice run of games since this most recent recall, and he's starting to look comfortable. You know. And he's starting to react in real time as opposed to needing that split second to decide what to do next. And maybe losing a little bit of the of the fear and the <clears throat> sense of awe that the young guys tend to have in the early days in the NHL. And, you know, you got to work your way through that because uh, that's never a good strategy in the long run. But uh, he's starting to look comfortable and uh, I'm starting to get... Uh, Pretty excited about what kind of a player he uh, he may yet turn into. If he's like, he's like the player that he was in this game, uh, on any kind of a consistent basis, you know, there's there's a whole lot to like about his uh, about his, uh, his his game and his skill set. Um, I just want to make it just a quick another good thing. I just had to check in case this was some kind of fever dream that it maybe didn't really happen, but this did happen. There was one play out there where Matthias Janmark morphed, anamorphed into Connor McDavid and whipped around the ice, uh, you know, did the full around, he's going around town, right around the ice, and then he set up Costin in the, in the, in the slot with a low high pass and Costin slammed it in. What a play by Matthias Janmark, who I don't know what other, I don't know like what generally people think of this player, but I'm, I really like this player. I think he's a fantastic addition to the team as a third line player. Uh, I give, you know, the scouts and Ken Holland first full credit on, on, on picking that guy up. He can really play hockey. Well, tonight he's sure good boy. He was slippery as anything tonight. And he was, I mean, that, that play there where he was, he was Houdini, it seemed like in the offensive zone. And he did it later on the penalty kill, where he got a puck in the in the Anaheim zone, and he just did a twist and his turn, and all of a sudden he lost all of the defenders and went in and almost was able to deep and beat the goalie. And a couple other plays along the boards where he just came out with the puck and you know through his primarily through his good skating, but also able to control the puck while he was doing it. He had some, uh, <clears throat> well, that whole line with him and Costin and Nugent Hopkins had uh, had a pretty nice night with uh, three goals among them. Yeah. Um, Bruce, my, um, yeah, we, we didn't even mention Costin, who, who just, uh, he became, he's he's like sniper prime here. <clears throat> good for him. Well, you the said only ex- one good thing each, and then you just snagged a second one. So. I, I know this. <laughs> 
I feel I've betrayed you. Uh, um, all right. My my number is uh, the grade A shots in the two games against Anaheim. It's 49 to 17 for the Oilers. 49 grade A shots. That translates in a, the Oilers should have about expected goals about 12 and the Ducks about four. Mm-hmm. Somehow, though, the Oilers have come out of this um, scenario with one win and one loss. And I hope that one loss doesn't haunt them down, down the road when they're fighting for a playoff spot. That was oh, a brutal good. loss. I was at that game, and I still can't believe it. Somebody asked me the next day uh, who won the game, and I said, Hockey Gords 4, Oilers 3. It was just one of those games they were just destined somehow to not win no matter how much they dominated it yeah you know 49 17 that was the actual shots in the first game and you say that's the great a's for the two games combined yeah and the shots for the two games combined 102 to 40 and one game each both in regulation so. yeah that works out to about 12 and four <laughs> goals too right like so um yeah it's uh it's mystifying and it hurts that the Ducks stole that victory and the Oilers cannot let it happen again and they didn't let it oh. happen tonight. So that's the good news. They took care of business tonight. Yeah. Uh, so they had to. This was this was a game they just could not afford to let this one get away. And to their credit, they they just took took care of business and you know they didn't just score four in the first period and then sleep their way through it and hang on to win five four. You know they were. They were in pretty much full control throughout. Bruce, from watching Leon, do you think he's playing hurt? There's hard something to tell in the way. He's so phlegmatic about it. And yeah. there's things in his uh, in his uh, agility, sometimes in, uh, you know, making turns and stuff. And then there are other yeah. times where he gets this little burst and he just, you know, looks like normal where you can overpower people. This game, I thought he didn't look good at all in the first period, and then I thought he was outstanding in the second and third, you know, and really setting up a number of great chances and scoring an absolutely brilliant power play goal to pass Yari Curry on the all-time orders list. For that got fourth. my attention. Yeah, wow. Well, that's, when that, you're passing, that passing Yari Curry for anything on the Oilers, uh, you know, that's, that's a feat. And so... Uh, anyway, but the goal he scored where where he allowed uh, Evan Bouchard's perfect pass to actually go through his legs and, and deflect it basically behind himself. So the puck got behind the pad of uh, of uh, John Gibson uh, before Leon tipped it. So he actually had a little bit of net to tip it into, whereas if he tipped it out in front of his body, Campbell was going to get it for sure. Uh, just... Brilliant decision making. Let's start with that. Like his his spatial awareness in that moment was off the charts, and of course the execution similar. So it's uh, uh, the, the, I mean the, the big boys didn't dominate in this game, but boy, the goal that they each scored, uh, uh, Drysaddle, and of course that that staggering uh, stop and go by McDavid that befuddled Zegras, uh, and then. The backhand he roofed behind Gibson. Oh my goodness! Just, uh, wow, that's <laughs> absolutely staggeringly good. So when you you know when you get those guys chipping in like that, but when you also have the full team going, it gives you hope again. 
And I know this is this team's MO is to give you hope one night and then dash it the next. But uh, maybe. I mean, it, McDavid said after the game, you know, other teams have gone on a run. It's time we did. And he's certainly right about that. So now let's just put some, uh, put, put, the, put, put those words into action. Yeah. And now that you've stuck in a, a second good thing, also, I feel that we can <laughs> end did. the podcast. We can end the podcast. Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>